The Be Here Now Network invites you to join Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors for a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Get the training you need to guide others in their journey with a powerful online training course and in-person teaching events. To learn more, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash GetCertified. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadasa's excellent talks. I have a question about practice. You said earlier that... We do this because we're lacking something or missing something or trying to find our way towards something. But do you think that our practice changes with us as we change as people? I mean, I could see when you first start practicing, well, at least for me, when I first started practicing, I was practicing out of uh, coming from a desperate place like oh help me help me help me you know Mm -hmm. and then you find that just one second of that feeling and it's you're in awe and then you my practice almost became rejoicing Mm -hmm. and now it's kind of like that's the only way I could think of humanly possible to say thank you Mm -hmm. so do you think that it changes with you, or and do you think it needs to be with other people? Because I tend to keep it very pr- private. And I was just wondering, do you think it's important to be with other people? I don't think it's when important you say- to, to share all your inner stuff with everybody. Okay. You can, sh- you can sing with other people, but you don't have to be telling them about all your experiences. Because everybody has their own experiences. Right. And there's too many subtle pitfalls there you know, pride and arrogance, and then people get caught in judging themselves. Oh, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. I'm not as good as this. I'm not doing this right. The inner stuff you can keep, you don't have to share, but sharing practice, singing together, meditating together, serving together is all good. And if it doesn't change, you know, then you're, you join the wrong club. You know, it, it, it has, over time, you have to change. There has to be some releasing uh, and there has to be spending less time in negative states of mind. Okay. But it's not so easy to see. And if you're doing practice all the time and judging it every second and evaluating it every day and thinking, how is it now, how is it now, how is it now, and not letting go of the evaluator, 
And then, you know, eventually you, you notice that and you will stop evaluating and then you'll be happy, you know? Because mm. if you're not telling yourself the story, nobody's telling the story. If you're, not, if you're not telling yourself the whole story of your stuff and who you are and all the stuff you have to go through and why is this and why is that, it wouldn't exist anywhere in the universe. And you begin to notice that and you go, well, well why am I doing it? I'm next, you know, and then, then it's not there anymore. So it's a big thing. But the real changes are, are deep and subtle and quiet. Uh, you just find yourself moping around less and grieving less and longing and feeling lonely less, feeling okay being alone, you know? Because when you said that earlier, you said that that's why we practice, it just dawned on me that I don't practice for that reason anymore and I, I was missing the point of the practice or something. Well, as, until you're God, you are practicing. You're noticing that you're not God. And so you're not complete. You're longing for completeness. That's, you're noticing there's some dissatisfaction there. Yeah. It may not be killing you as much as it used to, but you're not finished. So, of course, the same thing. You know? And there's always deeper to go. Okay. Always deeper. If, if, you, if you're any state of mind you're feeling, gratitude, anything, it's, it's, it's a very powerful, positive state of mind. But it's going to change into something else in two minutes. True. <laughs> so what we want to do is live in that open, loving, flowing, gratitude-filled space all the time. You can't hold on to it, though. You have to cultivate it by planting the seeds that will bring it into our lives, which is practice. Thank you. And I think the phrase was, when you're in love, everyone's Sicilian. <laughs> I'll let you live. Hi, good afternoon. Hey. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm really green when it comes you to meditation. Look, green. <laughs> look a little closer. Um, it's my understanding that meditation and sort of encourages you to let things come and go, whether they be experiences or people or thoughts. And I... I find my question for you is how do you balance that goal with the fact that rent is due and you're out of milk and you know you how do you go into this world with a state of mind that is neutral when you without appearing disengaged Good question And it's a, it's it's a very um very, uh, it's something that's misunderstood by just about everybody. When you're fully in, open and enlightened and finished, you're completely engaged with the whole universe 24-7. It's now that we're not really engaged with the universe. We're engaged with our projections, our versions of, of the world, and our versions of our lives. We're not actually seeing life as it is. We're, we're seeing our own movie, which we're projecting, acting in, and playing all the parts all the time. And we're engaged with that, we think. When those projections start to fall away, 
and we start to see things and people for what they are and not our our subjective versions of them, life becomes very different. It's not a neutral, it's not a state of being in neutral, which means you're not moving, you know, you're just floating. It's not, it's a very active, a very active state, being a very alive state. You're actually a, a billion times more alive and more engaged. When we talk about letting go, it, it means it's not being like, contemplating the empty milk bottle, model empty, feeling hungry, I let go of that. No. <laughs> no moving, I'm sitting still, let me starve to death. That's not very useful. You, you allow life to go on as it is. Hunger comes up. You have to feed. People come, you have to say hello. You do not have to be driven by all those things. You can do them without any resistance. Right? What we're trying to let go at the very early stages of, or any stage of meditation is simply be here. And here and now will be here and now in 10 minutes. It's always wherever you are, it's now. Whenever you ask, where am I, when is it? It's now. So to be fully present means to be, and, and then to be uh, non-reactive means to be fully engaged with whatever's happening without knee-jerk reactions, conscious reactions. Conscious reactions mean extending compassion and kindness where it's necessary, helping where it's necessary, not being cut off from people not being cut off from your own emotions and your own feelings. It's a very alive, intense state to be here. It's not something, a dead state of neutrality, which you feel nothing. You feel more. See, your emotions are, emotions and thoughts and stuff like that, they come to us, we don't know where they come from, right? For instance, like, it's like an ocean, you know, there was a storm on the ocean and the waves start coming and they travel many, many miles until they get to the shore and they hit us while we're sitting there. We don't know what started that wave. It started maybe lifetimes ago, maybe days ago, maybe years ago. And now these thoughts are coming to us. We're also the ocean, so it's our own actions create these waves whether it's this life, another life, previous, early in our own lives, the way we've dealt with certain situations, how people have dealt with us, the kind of, the cards we were, the hand we were dealt in this life. All this stuff causes, affects this moment. And so we think certain ways, we feel certain things, and we identify with those things. We don't, we never question why we feel like shit. We've always felt like shit, it seems normal. But after a while, you go, you start to, what, what, what is this feeling? And you're letting it go because you're meditating. So you're breaking that habitual identification with stuff in your, our own lives that's coming into this moment. If you're not aware, the stuff just washes over you and again and again and again and, and pushes you around. What we're trying to do is get a vote, right? We're trying to get a vote in our daily life, 
so that we're not just, all our knee-jerk reactions don't trip us up and hurt the people around us. We want to get a vote. I don't need to react this way. It's like somebody looks at you weird at work or something like that, right? And you go on a whole trip in your head about, what's wrong with this person? What did I do to them? Why do they look at me like that son of a bitch? I'm never going to bring them coffee anymore. You know, then, then you find that they just, their partner just died or is in the hospital with pneumonia. And they didn't even see you. They had this look on their face, but they weren't even looking at you. But you took it personally. So being here, we're trying to not be, be destroyed by all that stuff, by our own projections, our own reactions to stuff. So that's what the training is. It's not to be unfeeling. You feel more. You become much more open, much more sensitive. And you start to see other people's suffering and other people's needs in a different way. They're no longer people who might have been looked like our enemies, no longer become our enemies. We, we see that they're suffering and their behaviors coming out of their own unhappiness. And we see what a waste that is, how hard their lives must be. And we don't take it personally. And so when it comes to us, we can actually extend ourselves in a new way. And we aren't hurt. And then go spinning and spinning and spinning. So that's kind of what it's like. I don't know if I was really clear, but it's not a dead state. You're trying to be here. When you release a thought and come back to the chant, that's a, a big moment. You're not pushing it away. You're not saying that's a bad thought. You're just coming back. Next one, again, again. You're learning how to be here. As the wind blows, as the waves come, you're here. You're like, you're strong in the moment. And that strength is very uh, important. That confidence that we have that we can deal with anything that comes up, no matter what it is, we'll deal with it. We're, we're here. We're here with it. It's not burying us or knocking us completely off our feet. So if we don't train, if we don't do practice when we are feeling like relatively okay, it's very hard to live through the difficult, dark things that arise in our lives. So that's why you say you have to kind of do practice regularly. Just a little bit. Five minutes of good practice a day is a really good place to start. Find the time, just to find the time to sit down for five minutes, put the phone on silent, and sit there. You know, it's hard. But after a while, that five minutes will start to feel like a haven. You'll start to relax into that openness. And you'll enjoy being, just being there. And when you start to enjoy that, then the next moment becomes enjoyable. It's not like you have to close down and put your armor on to get up and go make a cup of tea. No, all you have to do is move this down to the kitchen, pick up an arm, pour the water. You're, you're, no, you're not required to feel bad all the time. And we're not required to believe our stories all the time. So it's constantly letting go of those stories over and over. And for that, you need an anchor. And the anchor is either the breath or the mantra or some practice that you're doing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not reading books. Real practice is not a, that. Those are parts of, of the spiritual life because that, those things help us. 
They actually help us to understand where practice is taking us and what it will be like when we can actually be happy. So it's all about getting that muscle, developing those letting go muscles and the muscles that help us be here for ourselves and then other people too. That's why I always tell people who are just really locked in something, I say, go work in a soup kitchen. Look at the people, feed people and look in their eyes, you know. See how everybody's the same here. Everybody's suffering. Nobody has everything they want. It's a wonderful experience. Very humbling and very opening and very empowering to see that we're just like all the other human beings on the planet. No better, no worse. One day uh, you also said, follow your heart. Follow it your heart. It's something that you, you've said. And um, from what I'm perceiving um, in how at, at least two ways that you seem to be doing that, one is very devotional. And there's also the... Um, creative expression that you bring to your spiritual practice. And uh, I'm very inspired by the combination of the devotion and the creative expression. The devotion and the creativity in your expression um, is a very inspiring way of practicing anyway. Um, I find that if I attempt to do that, Um, it's a way of being more fully here now and being fully engaged um, in addition to the being still and all of that stuff. Anyway, do you, um, do you have more to say on that? Well, that's the way it looks to you. I could say that. It doesn't look like that to me. Oh. You know, we each look a certain way to ourselves. The way I see Maharaji just dragging me around Um, singing through my mouth, playing the harmonium, and then dragging me to the next place. And I'm just trying not to slow him down too much. That's the way I see it. I don't feel creative. I don't feel like anything much. I just feel like I want to be in that love all the time. So I don't think about those things at all. I don't see it that way. You know, I'm, I just feel like a puppet, really, tell you the truth. And you think that's bad? I think that's good. Just a mindless blob. And I'm totally happy to be a mindless blob. In fact, I'm happier as a mindless blob than as when I used to think I was me. I'm sorry. It's a little hard to, you know, he, the way I see it, and I just have, since you asked, I'll tell you. You know, I just see he's pulling all the strings. You know, he I, I feel like a rusty old pipe. He picks it up. He plays beautiful music and he puts it down. Then he picks it up again. What does the pipe know about anything? Nothing. It's a pipe. It sits around getting rustier. He picks it up and plays music. And the playing of the music maybe cleans out the pipe a little bit. But the pipe has nothing to do with it. That, that's the way I see it. You can argue about it. You can talk about it. And 
But I don't feel like I'm doing anything, ultimately. That's just another thought, isn't it? Wow, I'm really doing this. This is so great. That's another thought. I let it go. I want to be in reality. I don't want to... I've, I've lived my movie pretty intensely. I'm finished with it, but it keeps going on. I don't have to watch it anymore. It might be on the screen, but I'm not paying attention. Every once in a while, I pay attention. But just bad habits, that's all. Mostly, I let him do it. He's doing it all. I have to make decisions. I have to look like I'm paying attention sometimes, you know, but... You know, where should we go to Moscow or maybe St. Petersburg? We have to think about this. That's just our version, my version. His version is completely different. His version is already done already. I've been everywhere, done everything, it's over. I just think it's still going on, so I have to act like a person. And every once in a while, I actually get caught in it and think I'm actually doing it. So my work is to just remember that that's not the way it is. He's doing everything. I don't feel creative. That's why I, at the Grammys, I was embarrassed. You know, I'm sitting there squeezing this little 20-cent harmonium, and in the audience, Chick Corea, Pat Metheny, Herbie Hancock, you know, the gods of music are there, and I'm squeezing this thing. I'm going like, this is fucking unreal. <laughs> you know? How did this happen? It happened because he wanted it to happen, obviously. What did I have to do with it? Right? That's the way I see it. And that's part of my practice, seeing it that way. Not making it up, but recognizing the deeper truth of things. In my life, the way I see it, Maharaj is doing everything. My job is to recognize that and remember that and not get caught in the dramas. But you get caught in the dramas. That's why I sing so much, because when I'm singing, I'm extricating myself from from the drama of me and my, my movie. And the more I sing, the more I, I'm freed of that and the more I enjoy and the more I, my heart is uplifted and of the burden of being me. It's such a burden to be us all day long. Christ in hell, it's horrible. I mean, you go to sleep, you wake up, you're still you. How does that happen and why? It's crazy. No matter how much sadhana you do, no matter how much you sing, you wake up in the morning, you're still you? You have to deal with this? Oh, God. So I don't think about it as much as I cannot think about it. I don't think about it. When thoughts like of that arise, I let them go. If he wants me to have a Grammy, I was so relieved not to have a Grammy. I'm, you can't imagine. I was perfectly cool until they opened the envelope, and I thought, shit, I'm going to have to go up there and make a speech? Please, no, anything but that. Luckily, I didn't win. I was so happy. Really. But the, the key remains that you did tell us, follow your heart. Perhaps that's enough. But that's what it is, follow your heart. You know, Intuition means your inner understanding, what feels right to you. That can change every five minutes. But if you're paying attention, that's okay. It might be okay to do one thing one day, and then the next day you recognize, oh, not okay. Because you, you, if you don't find out what works for you in your life, then what are you going to do? You think somebody's going to ring your doorbell and tell you? No. You have to find out what works in your life for you. 
when I started singing with people, I didn't sing because I wanted to be creative. I didn't sing because I wanted a Grammy. I needed to sing because I was drowning. I was up here. And I, you know, and I had a stuffed nose. <laughs> I could hardly breathe. And the only way I was going to stay afloat was to sing. That's, I'm sorry, but that's exactly what it was. I didn't do this to have millions of devotees, to have followers. I don't want followers. If you sing, if you want to sing, if you don't want to sing, don't sing. But I'm singing to save my ass. And I'm happy to share my ass with y'all. <laughs> my version, my, I, have to, I do have to admit that my definition of my ass has changed over time. <laughs> At first it was just my ass, and now it seems to be a little wider, a more inclusive ass. But I'm not trying to do that. It's just natural. You fall in love with, with love, and then you want to see it everywhere. You want to be in it. I don't want anything to turn that off. And when I remember Maharaji, and when I see and experience, uh, experience that presence in my heart and in my life, it, it's a wonderful thing, and it, it saves me from the obsessive stuff, my own obsessive stuff, which goes on and on and on. Now, I know none of you have any of that obsessive stuff. So that's why we sing. You're singing to save me. I, I definitely know that. And I'm very happy that you like to do that. Really. If you weren't here, I swear I'd be home watching the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament. <laughs> That's my obsession right now, the women's basketball tournament. Unbelievable. But here we are, and this is better. Of course, I'm retaping, and I'll watch it later. <laughs> Actually, I forgot to, to hit the DVR. Can you believe it? So, so uh, I, we all have our versions of other people, you know. But since you asked, my version of myself is really simple. You know, there was a beautiful letter, Swami Vivekananda, who was a great teacher and disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. And he was considered to be the, the um, reformer of, of Hinduism, of Indian wisdom and teachings and everything like that. And he was revered all over the world. Towards the end of his life, he wrote this letter to one of his disciples, and he says, you know, I see that everything I've done, all the service I've done, all the so-called good works, have been tinged with selfishness. I see everything I've done has had, had, you know, had colored by my own ambition and stuff like that. He said, but now, I'm just sitting, sitting immersed in the ocean of Ram Krishna, his guru, and I don't want to even move because I, now I'm finally I'm letting go of all that ambition and all that aggression and all that selfishness. I'm finally just being in this ocean, you know. So that's where I want to be. And that's where I hope you all will get. And I hope I'll get there. I want to be just sitting in the ocean of love all the time.
And I don't want my own story to take me out of it. Our own stories pull us out of that, out of that love. And the more we touch that love, the more we recognize that, which is from doing practice, from going to retreats, from finding out what you really want in life, what, what's important to you. You touch that place more often. You turn yourself more, more towards that place. So you begin to notice how horrible it feels when you're out of touch with that. And that's a good thing. The more you know what's possible, the more you want it, because it's, you can't not. It's who we are, all of us, each one of us. And the more we drink of that, the more it becomes natural to move into it more and more and more. So what do I want a Grammy for? What do I need? To, I want Maharaji, period. Take your fucking Grammy. You know? I don't, I'm not, well, but if he wants me to have a Grammy, I accept it. Luckily, he didn't. It would have been too much. You know, secret pride. Oh, it's really tricky stuff. You know, I'd be sitting here as a Grammy winner. Why would you want to do that? Would you sit with a Grammy winner? No, you want to sit with Maharaji. And that would be just another suit of clothes I would have to get rid of. So good. I'm a loser. I love it. I'll take it. So you can do a psychological profile on that and put me away. Is it necessary to meet a being like that in the body? The answer is no. Nothing's necessary. You're here. You're involved in this stuff. You're feeding yourself as best you can. You're doing the best you can as you are. That's it. Don't wait around for somebody to do something for you. Maharaj didn't do anything for us. You know, there was a movie... Some years ago with, what's her name? Uh, I always forget her name. The one from the Titanic. Kate, Win Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. And she played, uh, she's Australian, I think. And she, she played a young woman from Australia who goes to India and meets a guru and wants to stay there and lives there and everything like that. And gets totally into the scene. And her parents decide that she's in a cult. And so they send a message that her father is dying or something like that. And they, he's asked for her because she wouldn't come back. No matter what they did before, she wouldn't go back to Australia. So this gets her, and she comes back to Australia, and they kidnap her. Harvey Keitel. <laughs> hey, bad lieutenant himself. Meets her at the plane, takes her in a car to a little cabin in the middle of nowhere to deprogram her, right? It's such an insane movie. And... One of the things she screams at him at some point is, you'll never take away what my guru gave to me. I burst out laughing in the, in the movie theater when I heard that. And I, because I, was, I thought, what did Maharaji give me that anybody could ever take away? You know, he didn't give me anything like that. There's nothing he can take away. Nothing that, nobody could take it away. It, he showed me love. He showed me the love that lives inside of me which is not, it, nobody can take it away. What can you do? It, it's nowhere it's going to go. It's me. He showed me that. He didn't give it to me. He showed it to me. So nobody can take it away. Not even Harvey Keitel. <laughs> I actually once sat next to Harvey Keitel at a Buddhist meditation course. The guy is so intense. I was like shaking. just saying, And I go to sleep at night and dream about Harvey Keitel. <laughs> 
He meditates just like he acts. <laughs> Unbelievable intensity. Really amazing. Anyway, have I thoroughly confused you all? I hope so. Anything that takes you out of the love, out of happiness, real happiness, contentment. See, the problem is that we grow up in the West. We're not really wired for peace of mind. Our parents don't tell us, cultivate peace of mind. Now they say, go play football and kill somebody, you know? Or get straight A's and go to college, you know? And do I mean, they tell us all kinds of things, but they do not tell us to cultivate love and compassion and peace of mind. So we grow up without the wiring for that. And now, as semi-adults, we find ourselves unable to sit at home and be happy. We have to be busy. The television has to be on. Music has to be playing. We have to be cooking or going to movies or eating or doing all kinds of shit. We can't just sit and exist in our own joy because we don't have the wiring for that. So we have to create that now or at least clean it off. It's in there. We have to clean off that, those, clean out those channels, that wiring. And that's what practice is about. It gives us our true self back by uncovering those places where we can just sit around and be happy. It sounds vaguely like something you should be guilty about, you know? Well, I'm just sitting around being happy. Somebody calls you, what you doing? Well, just sitting around being happy. Something wrong with you? Come on, let's go out. No, I'm just happy. What? Did you take something? Come on, what are you smoking? That's the, it's weird. But Buddha said, you know, he found, he understood that the sense of well-being, there is a sense, a state, a sense of well-being in our hearts that's natural. That's who we are. And all we have to do is uncover it. Because it's covered up by all our stories, our thoughts, our emotions, all our stuff. We just have to find a way to let go of those stories so we can sit in that wonderful feeling of being alive as we are. It's not something we're, we're used to. It's like nobody gave us permission to do that. So we have to find a way to give ourselves permission to be happy. It's a big thing. It's a really big thing. You can't do it just by saying, okay, now I'm going to do it. It can't. It doesn't work that way. Because the one who's saying that is already a product of all that faulty wiring. So anything that comes out of that faulty wiring is just more faulty wiring. It's like not wanting to join any club that would actually admit you. You know? Oh, no, they want me, but there must be something wrong with those people. That's why it's very hard relationships, you know, because we don't love ourselves. Anybody who loves us is suspect, is not to be trusted. It takes a long time to let our guards down. 
because we don't love ourselves. We are not, we don't feel complete ourselves. And it's insidious, it's in everything. It's on all our versions of ourselves are like that. The dressed up versions that we show other people, the versions without makeup in the morning, you know, or after eating like, you know, three times too much food. All of that, all those versions of ourselves is this, in, this subtle feeling of it's not okay to be happy. And believe me, for me to be saying this, you got to understand, either it's been frontal lobotomy or a lot of practice. I don't know <laughs> what it was. I would never say these things. I was a very unhappy, depressed person my whole life. And I still tend towards that. To even recognize that, that our true nature is joy and okay. It's like, whoa, that's a big thing. It's a big thing. You don't need to add anything on to yourself. Which is one of the nice things about India, at least in the old days when I would go to India. You know, I didn't have to be anybody. All those people I was in America, they weren't interested. And so I didn't have to, I could just let go of that for a while. It was so liberating, which is why it was so hard to come back. Because when I come back, that's who everybody here talked to, that guy. So he had to talk back. But in India, he had nothing to say. Nobody was talking to him. So I would crash when I came back because I would lose that wonderful feeling that I had being in India at the time and what that meant for me. But it was good. Come back, crash, go back, get it back, crash. Now it's pretty much the same. Actually, I like it better here, almost. It's not so much difference anymore. I'm the same as I am here, as I am there, which is pretty interesting. It's a ripening process. You can't ripen a fruit overnight. You know, it takes time, period. It's the way it is. Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste.